your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 6, and we'll be in chapter 7 this morning. As you think about Nehemiah, and as you have read through it, you have discovered that Nehemiah is broken into three parts. Nehemiah 1 through 6, the first six chapters, deal with the city of God. The walls are broken down, the people are in ruin, the people are are confused, the people really are discouraged, and we deal with that in the first six chapters of Nehemiah. Chapter 7 deals with the people of God, and we will discover that there is a census that is taken by Nehemiah outlining all of the people who were there to get them to come back into the city of God. And then chapters 8 through 13 deal with the Word of God. And it's the Word of God that holds the people together. The people who came to Jerusalem because of the wall, the city, and now they're going to stay because of the Word in their lives. And that's the way it should be in our lives too. We're not here because of this building. We're not here because of this worship center. We're here because the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword in our lives. And it is the Word of God that develops the character of God's Son through our lives. So that is the outline for Nehemiah. Now, as we're looking at Nehemiah right now, we're looking at progress in our lives. How you doing? Are you making progress? Are you growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, can you put your finger on some things that God is doing to challenge you and change you and conform you to the character of His Son? I I trust so, because that's what this is all about, and it's all about this progress in our lives. Now, we have looked at an acrostic that has helped us understand something about progress. In Nehemiah chapter 6, and in verse 15 we read, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elihu in 52 days. Now that's pretty amazing. If you go back to Nehemiah chapter 1, you discover that it's been 11 months from Nehemiah 1.1 to Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 15. That's pretty good. It's been seven months from the time that Nehemiah met with Artaxerxes and was given permission to go back to Jerusalem and help rebuild the wall. That's pretty impressive. Well, what God is doing in our lives is pretty amazing, pretty impressive, because it's all about His work in a very special way. But as we understand that, we know that there is going to be some opposition. We recognize that there are going to be opposers, and there are going to be those that, because of the greatness of our God, are made afraid And there are going to be those, because of the greatness of our God, recognize that they can't do anything to thwart God's work. That's what verse 2 is all about. But understand, Satan doesn't give up. There is still going to be much opposition. And sometimes that comes from within. That comes from the nobles that are outlined for us in verse 17. And it was those within that were trying to be friends with those who were without. And we talked about how friendship with the world is enmity with God. And we need to recognize that and never let our guard down. Because there are those that would do everything they could to thwart the work of God in our lives and in this place. 
We come now to Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1. Follow along in your copy of the Scriptures, please. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been in place. It is now time for Nehemiah to set up the gates. We could jump back to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1, and we could find out that the wall had been built, but the gates were not in place. And now Nehemiah is ready to finish the task and set up the gates for the city. You know, gates remind us that there is danger ahead. Doors remind us that there are those that need to be kept out. In Genesis chapter 4, before Cain killed Abel, God said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, you will, not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the gate or at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The first thing that we understand about gates or doors is they remind us of danger, danger that is approaching Do you remember when God told Noah to build an ark? Remember what he told him to put in the side of the ark? It was a door, right? And why was there a door? There was a door there for two reasons. One, so Noah's family and all those animals could get in. And the other reason was to keep all of that other stuff out. Doors and gates are important in our lives. And we must recognize that we have them so that we can keep danger away. Now, a couple of things about doors and gates that set the boundaries of our lives. We must make sure that we take care to understand what the biblical boundaries are in our lives. You know, we all have different boundaries, don't we? I visit a lot of people, and I go to people's homes, and in a lot of cases, they want me to take my shoes off before I walk in their house. I don't have any problem with that. I think it's a good boundary. And that is just a personal boundary that some people have in their lives. You ever get a new car? Remember the first time you went through the McDonald's drive through with your new car? And you didn't want anybody spilling anything in your new car? Remember that? Uh, That was a boundary that you set. Personal boundaries are just fine, but understand they're not necessarily biblical boundaries, all right? It's okay to have personal boundaries, but do not associate them with a spirituality that you might try to have in your life. There are cultural boundaries. How many of you have traveled in Europe? Okay, some of you have traveled in Europe. You know in Europe they drive on the other side of the road. You're aware of that, right? In our country, there is a cultural boundary to drive on the right side of the road. That's the way it's set up. Does that make us any better or worse than the Europeans? 
that's just different. It's okay, but it is a cultural boundary that is set up in our lives. In the church, we need to set up some boundaries. Paul wrote to the believers at Philippi and said this, Beware of dogs, beware of evildoers. He wrote to the believers at Colossae and said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain, vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Peter writes these things in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. There are truly some biblical boundaries, some theological boundaries that we need to have in our lives. And those boundaries are outlined for us in the Word of God. Amen? We are told in the Word of God that we are to set aside our sinful desires, right? And we are to pursue after righteousness and godliness and holiness. Titus puts it this way, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for that blessed hope. Amen? That's our incentive. Jesus is coming back. I was asked this morning, are we living in the last days? My answer is we're closer today than we've ever been. Amen? Jesus is coming back, right? We don't know when, and it may be today. But as he does, I want him to find me faithful. I want him to find me living soberly and righteously and godly. I want him to find me having put up the right boundaries that are theological in my life. This morning we looked at 2 Peter chapter 1, right? We're trying to memorize verses 11 through, 13, through verses 3 through 11. Why are we trying to do that? Scripture says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's a boundary. What kind of boundaries do you have in your life? Are you living with cultural boundaries? Are you living with personal boundaries? Do you have theological boundaries in our life? The gates were set so that there would be a boundary. And did you note what Nehemiah said about opening the gates, wait until the sun is high. Why do that? Because you can see what's going on. Don't open them at night. Somebody might sneak in. You ever have anybody sneak up on you? This I'm in my study this morning studying. That's what you do in a study. And I am working on some stuff, and all of a sudden I look up and somebody is standing right there. And I'm thinking, where did they come from? I didn't hear them. I didn't smell them. That was a good thing. I didn't notice them. They were just there. You know, if we're not careful, things will sneak up on us. And things will surprise us, and we will not be able to react to them properly. Nehemiah said, Don't open the gates until it's high noon when you can see everything. And when it gets to be night, shut the gates. Why? So that you'll be safe. That's what gates, that's what doors do. 
But not only do we see progress in setting boundaries at doors and gates, we also see progress with the need of a community. Look with me at verse 4. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been built. You might relate Jerusalem to Detroit. I don't know how many of you have been to Detroit recently. At one point, a vibrant city. Right on the Detroit River, it has islands and it has parks. It has all kinds of things to offer people. Great place to live. It was. But all of a sudden, it got run down. And neighborhoods deteriorated. And it wasn't so nice anymore. And people moved to the suburbs. Well, that's exactly what was happening in Jerusalem. At one point, it was proclaimed as a city of God. It was the place to be. It was where you went to worship God. It was where you went to celebrate what God was doing in your life. It was where you went to let people know that you were part of the family. A wonderful, wonderful place. But the walls crumbled. The enemy came in. The people were taken in exile and then came back from exile and decided they didn't want to live in a big city anymore. You know, community is important. It really is. And it's important when we understand that as walls are rebuilt, that's only part of the job. The whole job is rebuilding community, bringing people together, and glorifying God. Amen? We've just completed a remodel project in this place. Doesn't it look nice? I, I trust that you're noticing even some of the punch list things that have been taken care of. Isn't it great? But you know, that's not the job. Our job is to recognize community that we have in this place and invite those that are outside to come and be part of our community and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, letting them know that God loves them and he sent his son to die for them and that they too can have a relationship with God by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ being saved. Amen? Uh, This place is not what it's all about. It's the people that make the difference. And that's community. So may I ask you, what are you doing to build the community? What, what are you doing to help us grow in this community? God has given to us an open door to be able to reach southwest Michigan with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I really believe that. And I really believe that God has called us so that we can minister to those who are around us. As you look at the rest of chapter 7, beginning with verse 5, you find out that Nehemiah took a census, and he found the book of genealogy in verse 5. And then we have a list of, of, of all of the people. There were some 49,000 600 souls that are listed here. But the city of God, there weren't that many people there. And so Nehemiah's job was to repopulate the people. 
He wanted to encourage the people. He wanted to enlarge the ministry. He wanted to enhance the worship. He wanted to exalt Jesus Christ. And it was that which kept them together as they all recognized the Word of God working in their lives. We have a community focus. It's on the front of our bulletin every Sunday morning. I quoted it earlier. Called our mission statement, right? To multiply. Everybody understand what multiplication is? Right? Multiply. To multiply Christ-like disciples who are passionate about their God. We cannot multiply multiply Christ-like disciples who are passionate about their God unless you and I get passionate about our God. Who are obedient to his word. Who are dependent upon him in prayer. Who are connected to one another. And who are authentic and relevant so that we can multiply Christ-like disciples. That's community. That's community. And how do we do that? We enlist faithful, God-fearing folks. Did you notice what Nehemiah did? Verse 2. He went to his brother Hanani. Now, Hanani may have been one of the folks who came down to Susha in the beginning in Nehemiah chapter 1. We, we don't know. We weren't given names there. But it may have been Hanani. And then there's Hananiah. And how are these two men described? They are described as faithful and God-fearing men. You cannot build a ministry without faithful and God-fearing men and women. You cannot build a biblical community without faithful and God-fearing men and women. You cannot even properly worship without God-fearing faithful men and women. See how important it is for us to follow this example? How you doing? How faithful are you to the Lord? Every once in a while, I will talk to someone and I'll say, how you doing in your Christian lives? On a scale to 1 to 10, 10 being I couldn't be doing any better, how you doing? How would you answer that question? On a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing in your Christian life? You know the number I get most? 7. Now, maybe it's because people think that's the perfect number. But when I went to school... If I got a 70% on a test, it wasn't so hot. In fact, I never wanted to show my parents that particular paper because they were not impressed. Seven's kind of mediocre, isn't it? Just above passing? Where are you? in your relationship with God. On a scale of 1 to 10, where are you? Are you just passing? Hardly? Faithful. God-fearing. 
those who are faithful, those who are men and women of integrity, those who are God-fearing, those who are men and women who have a motive for living. Why do you do what you do? Because I fear God. I reverence Him. And He has the preeminence in my life. That's progress. How you doing? Two more very quickly this morning. Security. Security is always important. We talked about them not opening the gates until the sun was up. We talked about them shutting the gates and appointing the guards for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It's important that we set goals in our life, that we secure our lives. You know, the Scripture tells us that we are to keep our hearts with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. The psalmist says in Psalm 101, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Security is an important thing. And lastly, singers and the, and the Levites were there for worship. Did you notice what he appointed? Verse 1 of chapter 7. He set up the doors, and then he got the gatekeepers, and then he got the singers, and then he got the Levites. Why did he do that? To make sure that worship was the focus. They were there because this was the city of God. That's what Jerusalem was. It was the place that they went to celebrate what God had done in their lives. It was the city of God. And the Levites were prominent in building the community because Jerusalem was a holy city designed for worship. That's probably, how you doing? Are you using this block in your life? We're going to come this morning to the Lord's table, right? And we're going to celebrate what God has done for us through the given body of His Son and the shed blood of His Son. And God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, right? Second Peter 1, we read, quoted those verses this morning. Now, he did this for us so that we could have a, an event to remember what he has done. And he tells us that every time we celebrate this event, we do it in remembrance of him until he sends his son to take us home. That's what it's all about, right? But he also does it so that we can examine our lives to determine what kind of progress we've got going in our lives. How you doing? You're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. You're welcome to to share at this table. But this is a table for Christians. And the Scripture tells us that as we share at this table, we should be examining ourselves, our progress. Because all of this was done so that we'll be less like ourselves and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. This wasn't done so we can stay just like we are. This is done so that we would recognize the reflection of God in our lives.